Our reading this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 11, beginning at verse 25, and it's on page 987. Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I wonder when the last time it was that you woke in the morning and you didn't feel physically tired and emotionally weary. When was the last time, as you look back, if you can, in fact, even identify a time, when you remember waking up in the morning and you didn't feel physically tired and emotionally weary? I'm not going to ask you (laughs) to disclose any answers, if indeed you've even got one yet. But please don't let that question just fly past you this morning as we begin. My, my guess is, probably more than a guess, my theory would be that the further back in time that you have to look before you can identify a point where you felt like that, the less likely it is that you're practicing rest in your spiritual life. Or flip it round, the quicker you can identify a time and so maybe it was two weeks ago or a month ago, the more likely it is that you're practicing rest as part of your spiritual life. For me, if I'm honest, the last time I remember feeling like that, I remember feeling like it because it struck me as kind of odd, was towards the end of my sabbatical that some of you will remember I had just over two years ago, under two years ago now. Towards the end of that, I remember waking up and saying to Kath, I don't feel tired, (laughs) and I feel rested, which is the point of a sabbatical, of course. But actually, as we're going to hear a little bit later, sabbatical is simply an extended Sabbath, a day of rest that we're meant to have every... Hello? Every week. So... 
We're in a teaching series called the Practicing the Way of Jesus, and there are two salient ideas that we're looking at over the next few weeks. And actually, as we go forward, because as I said last week, this is a rolling teaching series. We're doing five weeks on it now. We'll pause and we'll come back to it. There are two salient ideas. The first is that the invitation of Jesus to those who would follow him is to become what he called one of his Talmudim in the Hebrew. It's a word that we translate as disciple, but I suggested last week is probably better translated apprentice. This idea of being apprenticed to Jesus, just like someone might be apprenticed to um, a boiler engineer or a carpenter or something like that, even in today's world. To learn how to do what Jesus did, the way that Jesus did did it. And so we, uh, we looked at three things last week that uh, those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, apprentices to Jesus, should be doing. Number one, learning to be with Jesus. Number two, learning to become like Jesus. And number three, learning to do what Jesus did. And it begins and ends with the first one of those, the practice actually, if you like, of learning to abide in him. John 15, the vine and the branches. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Abide in me, better translation, and I will abide in you. And we're going to come back to that later in the series. Uh, One writer, Stephen Um, puts it like this. He says, the call to discipleship is a fundamental redirection of our human existence, a reorientation, an all-embracing turning about of our lives in order that our affections might be placed primarily on Christ. Our affections, that which we worship, that which we delight in, that which we give worth to, it should primarily be Jesus Christ. And discipleship is learning to make sure that is, in fact, the case. So last week I suggested that, uh, as my friend John Mark Comer says, this is only possible if we are living in a constant state of awareness of and connection to the Holy Spirit. And to do that requires practice. We have to learn how to do this. And that's the second key idea in this series, that apprenticeship is something that requires practice. It's not about trying really hard. Good evangelical spiritual fervor will not get you there. We have to be trained in how to do it. And we do that in the context of community, benefiting from those who know what they're talking about and working it out together in the power of the Spirit uh, in community. Or put it another way, if we want to experience the life of Jesus, we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If we want the life of Jesus, we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Practicing the way of Jesus means living how he lived. Because he was showing us what it is to be human. How to live as God intended. So if we want the life he has, which he says he gives us for free, life in all its fullness, one of the ways we access that is by living how he lived. Practicing it until it becomes normal and true for us. And to do that means adopting and implementing the spiritual practices that Jesus himself practiced and which for 2,000 years the church has passed on to the next generation. And something that within our tradition, within the church, we've actually not always done very well. Often forgotten them, lost them, or dismissed them. Things like silence and solitude. 
Bible reading, fasting, and Sabbath, which we're looking at today. This is the work of spiritual formation. It's not actually a Christian thing. It's a human thing. We'll talk about this in a few weeks, but I find it interesting. If I go into Waterstones, there's a whole section now. Uh, it's my weekly pilgrimage to just go and browse and, you know, see what I'm going to spend my book allowance on this week. Uh, there's a whole section on mindfulness and well-being. Because people want this. They just don't want the Christian version of it because they don't realize how good it is because they've not had it role modeled for them sufficiently well. And this spiritual formation is actually about transformation, right? We're being changed from the inside out. And and someone said to me last week, this is great, Rich, I love it in theory, but is it really, in reality, in the 21st century, possible? To which I said, yes. It's possible, but it's not inevitable. It will only happen if there's an intentionality on our part. So next week, I'm going to help us try to begin to understand how it works in practice, how, what, what goes on when we do the spiritual practices in community. How does the Spirit transform us? But today, we're going to be looking at the second practice in this series. And if you were here last week, uh, or you've got your brain switched on, you're thinking, what was the first one? Um, The first one we're going to come to in a couple of weeks. And I say that because I want us to get them in the right order at the end. Okay, the first one, and it's because it's the most important, I think, is the killer app, is silence and solitude, actually. But for various programming reasons, we're doing the Sabbath today, uh, mainly because it's Paul and Jane's last Sunday before they go on sabbatical. Uh, So you see what I'm doing there, right? genius. So we're going to come to them in a moment. Okay, so practice number two, before we get to practice number one, is the Sabbath. And Sabbath is all about rhythm. It's all about rhythm. God has subjected, the scriptures tell us, creation to a rhythm of rest and work, one that he revealed himself ultimately by observing it himself. He works for six days, and then what does he do? Hello? He, he rests, right. Six days of work, one day of rest, repeat. Six days of work, one day of rest, repeat. And unlike the way of the world, which rests from work, yay, it's Friday, freedom, let's hit the pub. The people of God are called to work from a place of rest. It's the other way round. It's the inside out, back to front, or probably the right way round way of the kingdom. Definitely the right way round of the kingdom. So, Adam and Eve, humanity, uh, in the garden. What's the first thing they do after God's created them? He's told them what they're called to do. What's the first thing they actually do? They rest. I love that. Ta-da! Rest. Be with me. Because what you're called to do is as an outworking of who you are. And to do that, you need to know who you are. And to do that, you need to rest in me. 
And this same rhythm then gets woven into the Old Testament law. The Israelite people were called to do this, to model in the world, to the world, how to live in sync, in rhythm with God and his good creation that they were helping redeem. And we see it lived out on a daily basis then in the Gospels by Jesus. We'll come back to him a little later too. But you'll see if you read the Gospels, he's constantly withdrawing from the world to rest in the Father He says, in light of those experiences, I only do what I see the Father doing. And he steps back in to the world. He's learning and modeling what it is to be in two places at the same time, right? Stuff we talked about last week. Now, here's the point for today. If Jesus needed to do it, then so do you, and so do I but we don't. This rhythm that God's ordained is for us. This rhythm of rest and work and rest and work, it's for us. It's for our souls. It's for our very essence. If every day is the same, if time is no differentiation, if there are no seasons to our year and rhythms to our weeks, then all time is the same. And ultimately that creates despair. And it creates a sense of hopelessness, of feeling trapped in a never-ending life of toil and exhaustion. If we don't honor the rhythm of Sabbath, we suffer, and so do those that we love and serve. We shortchange ourselves, and we shortchange everybody else. The symptoms of this are multiple, and we're going to look a bit more at this at the end of the series, this term. Uh, But anxiety, often a low-level tolerated anxiety, never quite stopping, never quite resting. Stress, uh, depression, nosedives of depression, feeling numb to good experiences, not enjoying things in the moment because you're so busy thinking about everything else. Overworking, addiction, panic, self-medicating, faking it to make it. How many of those of you ticked off? I ticked them all. We're all in this together. We all struggle with this. And ultimately, those things distance us from God and therefore ourselves and other people. Which is why the ancient practice of the Sabbath is something that Jesus practiced and affirmed and kept as part of the pattern of life for the church. And if we don't practice Sabbath... If we don't learn to live it as a countercultural expression, then we're no, like, uh, we're no different to anybody else around us. And we just learn to adjust and adapt and actually struggle on through. And that is not freedom. And that is not what God had for us. Interestingly, there seems to be a consensus among scholars that the Israelites never did this. Crazy people. But then neither do we. And we don't do it partly because our culture doesn't do it, but our culture doesn't do it partly because we don't really do it. And so we're all in this together. It's not just for the church, it's also for the world. Again, an idea we'll come back to. All of this brings us to today's passage, Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, if you're weary and burdened, are you weary and burdened? If you're not putting your hand up, you're in denial. Let me just tell you right now. We're all weary and burdened to some degree or another. Come to me if that's you. And I will give you rest. 
And what he's talking about here is the kind of rest that is restorative. It's God's rest given to us, a kind of redemptive wholeness that comes from stopping from being, being and doing what we think we need to be and do and letting him be God in our life, be still and know, so a whole being knowing, so that actually we can get back on our feet and go again. It's not the kind of rest that we all practice, which is just not doing certain things. Like, let me tell you, four hours on the sofa in front of Netflix is not the kind of rest Jesus is talking about. That's called slobbing out. And Jesus didn't watch Netflix. Sabbath is the practice of taking one day a week and treating it differently. It's making a day special, sacred, consecrating it to God for rest and worship. Rest from work, but rest from God as we worship him, as we do things that allow us to re-center ourselves on the person of Jesus. Abide. Be at peace. Be still. Find our way home again. It's a day when we choose not to create but to let the creator recreate us. It's not marked by output. Getting your jobs done is not Sabbath. That might be a day when you're not at work, where you get paid, but let me tell you, doing the shopping, cleaning the house, cutting the grass, yada, 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 is not Sabbath. It's work. Now, this has huge implications. We'll come to it in a moment around how we manage our time. And what we find as we explore that is we come up against another problem called busyness, which we're going to look at as well. So if I don't see you over the next few weeks, I know why. It's a day when we choose to take uh, the time given to us and do things that A, draw us closer to God, but also that help us reconnect with who we are and those people around us that are most important to us. It's a day when we stop all work, all work, and we play, and we do creative things. We play, and we pray, and we sleep, and we read, and we explore, and we hang out with good friends, with good food, and delight in life, and live in the moment, and be thankful, and practice thankfulness, and we rest. Jesus can't give us his rest if we don't stop and rest in him. And what happens when we do this is we realize that we are not what we do. We are not our bank balance. We are not our career trajectory. We are not our children. We are his. And that's enough. Three quotes from the three best books on Sabbath to illustrate this. And I'll put out a reading list as we go. Number one, this is uh, from Mark Buchanan. Sabbath is both a day and an attitude to nurture such stillness. It is both time on a calendar, but crucially notice this, and a disposition of the heart. It is a day we enter, but just as much a way that we see. Sabbath 
imparts the rest of God. Actual, physical, mental, spiritual rest. But also, and it's a play on words here, the rest of God. All that bit, all that stuff that comes with the following Jesus that we don't live in and we don't access because we don't have time. And we don't live from that place and we rediscover it and we grow. The things of God, he says, like nature and presence that we miss in our busyness. I love that. Walter Brueggemann, who wrote this incredible book called Sabbath as Resistance, incredible book, worth reading. He says this, in our own contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, hello, sound familiar? The celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance and alternative. So we're resisting the way the world lives and the way we incline to live if we don't do something about it and living into an alternative. It is resistance because it is a visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. You are not what you shop and buy. Sabbath, he says, becomes a decisive, concrete, visible way of opting for and aligning with the God of rest. Read that over breakfast for a week and don't tell me it won't change you. We'll put all of this out on the email and on the, the website tomorrow. And finally, real quick, Joshua Heschel is an, an Israel, a Jewish theologian. He says this, Sabbath gives the world the energy it needs to exist for another six days. <laughs> I love that. Like, that's how it's meant to be. Are you with me so far? Great. We're going to change gear, and I'm going to invite my special friends, Paul and Jane Wilcox, to come and join me uh, on the sort of Michael Parkinson-style um, TV set. So, Paul and Jane, come on out, for reasons that will become apparent in a moment. And um, I, I, I'm going to... These are, all, these are all bishops' thrones, by the way, so um, just don't tell Bishop John. But we, we didn't want to nab all the seats from the parents at the back, so grab a seat. Um, We've sort of prepped this, sort of haven't. There you go. Um, many of you will know, Paul and Jane, not all of you will. Uh, and if you do know them, not all of you will know just quite how remarkable they are and what a gift they've been to our community since uh, whenever, 2002, I think, is that when you came? Three. 2003. Um, this is their last Sunday at All Saints for a while. <laughs> I hope, unless God tells them to go somewhere else. Um, they are about to embark on a six-month sabbatical, rest, Sabbath, sabbatical. Um, and I thought it would be really helpful for us to hear a little bit about that and why they're doing that. But before we get to that, actually to learn from these guys how they do this stuff, because they do, and they've really worked at it, and they've got different ways of doing that. And it will give you a chance to um, understand their next six months and pray for them. So, sound okay? Yeah. Great. So my first question would be, um, is there anything either of you would like to add so far to what I've just said? Anything that's missing? I'll put them on their, right, right on their toes. He actually did know this question was coming. No, only just to echo the, uh, that it's an attitude of heart and mind. Yeah. You know, just to reinforce that, uh, as opposed to a, um, necessarily specifically a day in the week. Yeah. Thank you. Jane? Um, no, but uh, I was just thinking about my own experience of Sabbath. And um, 
you know, growing up in a, a Christian home where um, Sabbath meant um, very much a Sunday, and it was about going to church twice on a Sunday, and it actually, unfortunately, it was a lot about what we didn't do rather yeah. than what we did do. Yeah. So it, it it became a day when I kind of almost didn't really quite enjoy it. As, yeah. So it's been kind of undoing the things that I've been taught as a child and actually trying to come to a different... Because yeah. I do see that there is an importance in doing it. Yeah. So it's kind of almost like having to unravel all that and yeah. then start again. Really helpful. And I'm sure we can relate to that, can't we? Going to church twice every Sunday, I'm not sure it's that restful. Um, it depends, certainly not for everybody. Thank you. So, okay, given all of your learning and thinking about this over the years, um, and particularly helping other people through Chapel House Ministries, how do you guys practice Sabbath at the moment? What's your wisdom and experience around how to actually do what we're talking about? Well, you can't have a spiritual director like I've got and not do it. That's what I would say. Uh, that you need someone else who looks into your life and brings a perspective and is able to help you work through your rhythm yeah. of the week. That's a key word, actually. And left to our own devices, well, I would just have to speak to myself and confess that I'm an addict. I'm an addict to activity and to the adrenaline rush that comes from being well-occupied. I love doing stuff. I love doing things. I love the buzz of meeting up with people. And, um, but the danger is that when that is energy-giving and life-giving, it can be almost what you live for. So it's the doing of the activity that becomes the main objective in your week, as you look at your week. And to be challenged about that and to be seriously questioned about the time of, of rest, and which isn't a day off when you do your jobs, but, but a period in your week when you actually engage in that which is renewing and restful. And it will be different for all of us. I mean, I rest in different ways to Jane. Um, I suppose, yeah, for me, maybe sometimes the rest is like um, seeing people and actually connecting with people and going out and having a walk or going for coffee, whereas I think you would probably be more on your own, <laughs> just having some solitude and time on your own. Which is tricky when you've got a family. <laughs> you turn around and say, well, I'm actually going to spend the day on my own today. Um, might not make you very popular. Um, <laughs> So you have to work out how you're going to do it, and we have to give each other gifts of time, which I think I've found really helpful within our marriage, that we understand that we need time, so we'll, we will give each other gifts of time, and, um, and that's really freeing. And in the kind of ministry that I've been involved with for the last uh, 13 years or so, I find myself saying that to guys in particular, that they need to think through in their family how they can give gifts of time. And then hopefully it's reciprocated because it's, it's all right saying I'm going to have a Sabbath today, but that has implications for other people and the rest of the family. And, um, and we're in community, so... There's a number of factors that need to be taken into account. Yeah. But for me, the way up my mind works, I have to put it in my diary, Sabbath, mm -hmm. you know, and it pretty much isn't a Sunday, actually. 
because Sunday can be by far the busiest day of the week for many, for many of us. And um, so it would not tend to be a Sunday. And I can't sit here and pretend I do it every week, I have to be honest. The intention is there, but it doesn't always happen. Um, but I would say most weeks there is a day which is different, which I think is my objective. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, what would be your advice then to us as we recognize that perhaps we really need to do this more? Where would you start? What would be the one thing you do just to begin to reclaim time within the week to make it different? Be ruthless. Yeah. Actually, I think ruthless is a key word for the sake of our health, for the sake of your health. Be ruthless with the people whom you love and who love you and say to each other over the dinner table, right, how are we going to do this then? If this is so important, how are we going to do it? And trust God with the consequences. That's a different, because you can think to yourself, oh, if I don't do that on Thursday, then it's not going to get done. Well, trust God with that. He's quite capable. <laughs> Yeah. of coping without you, <laughs> Surprise, surprisingly enough. And um, to trust God with the consequences, I think, is key. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we have to use our common sense as well, but generally, we've got to think bigger. Brilliant. Thank you. We're going to come back to that idea in a few weeks um, when we talk about busyness. Um, let's transition then. You're about to start a six-month sabbatical. Can you tell us why? and what that's going to actually mean in practice. How are you going to do it? So why and how? Um, well, Paul, uh, I, I can't actually remember what, when you said. Last I, yeah, last year sometime, Paul said, um, I think when I'm turned 60, I'm going to have a sabbatical. So that was the very first kind of time we... Uh, thought about it, he can explain from his point of view. Um, I think for quite a long time I thought it was going to be post sabbatical and I, it wouldn't really affect me. Um, but actually, then when um, he started to unpack what that would mean, he said, you know, I think, I don't think I'll be at church for six months. And um, I thought, well, I've got to decide whether I want to go come here um, without Paul, or whether we both take a six-month sabbatical from All Saints. So then I, I decided that, yeah, it would be best for me, I think, um, and, well, I don't know, you know, to do that together. Um, but Matt is still going to be coming to All Saints. He, he's made a choice that he yep. wants to still come. Um, so for me, uh, there, there will be things that will be different, but then I'm still continue, continuing with my studies and the other things. So it, it's mainly a sabbatical for me from All Saints. Yeah. But Chapel House is... Oh, yeah. And Chapel House, we're not actually going to be facilitating anything for six months either. So, yeah. So there'll be people coming through the front door, mm, but not yeah. through the back door. Yeah. Yeah, it was a friend of mine, actually, who said, uh, why don't you think about taking a six-month sabbatical when you're 60? I think I'd feel slightly better if a few of you were whispering to each other at the moment, he's not 60, is he? <laughs> I, am, <laughs> I am 60 on the 31st of January, and when that person said that, he's had a kind of a ring to it, and um, 
And initially I thought, oh, well, I quite like the sound of that idea. Um, and I knew Richard had a sabbatical last year. And so I began to chat to people and to read about the whole principle of sabbatical. And, and I sometimes even struggle now when people say to me, what are you going to do on your sabbatical? Because there it is again, you see. There's, there's the thing. There's the verb. There's the doing word. What are you going to do? And... Um, and if I'm not careful, I can feel guilty that actually I've not got a lot planned to do. Um, I've got some things that I'd quite like to have a go at. But my danger is to switch quickly into, okay, I've got six months. What am I going to do in the six months? So it, it's quite challenging. But when Rich said last week about being covered in the dust of your rabbi as an apprentice of Jesus... I think that's my prayer, that, that Jane and I would, would have a fresh revelation of what it means to abide, actually, in Christ, and to be covered in the dust of our rabbi, <laughs> whatever that might mean, and whatever it might look like, and it will look different for us, because we work out our spirituality differently. But there are some things that, shall I say some of the things that, that are in the diary, shall we say? Um, one of which is that uh, my great friend Paul Swan and I are going on pilgrimage in May. So we're going to uh, walk part of the Camino de Santiago in northern Spain. And uh, that's two weeks. We're hoping to do about 100k. So there, I know Paul, I'm wincing at the same time. Um, <laughs> so, there's, so there's quite a bit of uh, training to get in for that. And, um, but that, that is a, a highlight that, that features. Um, one of the other things I want to do is to research the history of, of Chapel House, where we live, and also Christianity, actually, on the western side of the river, because in the 1800s, there was a lot of evangelical Christian mission in the villages on the west of the river, and I'm keen to, as an historian, I'm keen to explore some of that. So there'll be a bit of studying, reading, um, but more than anything, I think, learning how to abide. And learning lessons that hopefully won't be just for us either but that we can share with others so how can we pray for you any fears anything that you think oh we really need to hear god in this or know god in this or are you just ready to get out of here (laughs) um i think a mixture of uh, feelings obviously because we've been in this church for 13 and a half years so it's a, a place that we know, we feel known, and we, we belong. Um, so there is a, a little bit of like, hmm, how's that going to be <laughs> going somewhere else? But a bit of excitement as well uh, about what's, what God's going to do during this time. I caught a snatch of an interview with Dawn French on Desert Island Discs a couple of weeks ago, who's just turned 60. And the interviewer said to Dawn French, now you've turned 60, what's your aim? And she said, ooh, I want to stay juicy. <laughs> and, I, and as I've thought about it, <laughs> I thought, and so do I, actually. <laughs> we want to stay juicy. Um, you know, we want to, if you think of the fruit of the spirit, like love, joy, peace, etc., we want those fruits to be obvious and real and kind of leaking out. So, so my prayer is that far from it being a time of kind of desert and sort of, there may be elements of that, but, and that might be good, but, but there would be a time when we discover 
the fruits of the Spirit in a fresh way, I think, that we'd be juicy. <laughs> and we'd come back juicy. And um, even juicier. Get your head around that one. <laughs> Paul Wilcox, staying juicy <laughs> since 1957. Okay. Um, Thank you so much. Um, because these guys have been so phenomenally invested in the life of our church, Paul's been a church warden for six years, stepping down, seven years, stepping down from that uh, role effectively immediately, so Rich is on his own for a couple of months. Um, and because so many of you have benefited from their ministry among us, uh, I know you'd love to pray for them, which we're going to do in a moment. But I know you'd also love to continue to pray for them. So there, are, um, there is a little blog and email thing that you can get onto if you'd like to track uh, with them and just let the office know and we'll sort that out for you. But uh, after we've taken communion, we're going to sing a song or two and their offering bags are going to go around and they don't know about this. But if you feel led to contribute financially to these guys, because bear in mind, all their income comes from serving other people and if they're not doing that for six months, obviously there's implications. If you would like to make a financial gift to Paul and Jane, not to Chapel House, to Paul and Jane, if you could put something in the envelope, uh, one of the yellow envelopes, put it in the offering bag. We can differentiate them. Just write Wilcoxes on it. And there should be pens on your pews. You don't have to do it today. You can do it online. You can come in via the office and we'll make sure it gets to them. So they weren't asking for that. They weren't expecting that. But it's one of the tangible ways as a wider community we can bless them um, so that they have that rest because they're called to serve not just this church but the whole church and it would be good to be part of that, wouldn't it? So if you'd like to do that, that'd be great. Um, This is an opportunity to say say thank you to both of you for the last seven plus years of extraordinary ministry among us and to us. So we've got just a couple of little gifts as a way of saying thank you to you both, which we want to uh, give you and um, we'd love to then pray for you in a moment. But as Rachel brings these up, can we give Paul and Jane a massive round of applause? Don't go anywhere. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait, wait. Why don't we stretch out our hands and uh, I'm going to lead us in prayer for these two. Um, you've got one more opportunity to see them before they disappear, which is at the official book launch of Paul's book on Thursday, the 25th of January uh, in St. Helens. You should have had an email about that, but um, so you can see them then, if not um, in six months or so. Father God, thank you for their obedience to you in taking this time out from all that they're called to do to be with you. And we pray you'd meet all of their hopes and dreams and prayers for this time and surpass them. That they would return to whatever you lay before them with a a sense of not being physically tired or emotionally weary. And more than that, full of a sense of what lies ahead. That you teach them new things and old things that they would truly receive your rest as they abide. That you provide for them, that you'd encourage them, that you'd um, show them what you're doing in and through them. That you'd help them cope and adjust with a change of gear and a change of pattern and engagement with church and all of that. Bless Matt and Emma and Nathan as well in all of this. We hold before you Chapel House and all that is to so many people and pray that that would run brilliantly without them, so to speak. And that they'd know your delight and your pleasure and your goodness in all they are and all they do. And all God's people said, 
Amen. Thank you so much. In a moment, we're going to take communion, uh, which is one of the ways that we actually receive God's Sabbath rest. But before we do that, I just want to really quickly finish with a couple of practical uh, thoughts on how we go about doing this. Because if you're like me, you're thinking, this is all quite daunting. And it's all right for someone who's in full-time ministry to be able to take lots of time out. And obviously not all of you can have a six-month sabbatical from what you do. Although some of you probably possibly could have a little bit of one. Uh, It's worth exploring. The the danger at this point is you just go, that's fine for them, but it's not for me. It's just not realistic for me. I want to say to you, it is. Practicing Sabbath week in, week out is realistic. It does have implications. And Paul used the word ruthless. We'll come back to that. But we have to reclaim time and control of our diaries. Bob Goff says that the war for our hearts is waged on the pages of our diary. The war for our hearts is waged on the pages of our diary. It's what we do with our time. It's not that we can't do things in our Sabbath time. It's about how we do them. So creating a space in your week for Sabbath can be a beautiful container in which you put dinner with great friends, walking the dog, investing in your children, cooking, creating. It's about a posture of heart, about how you engage with this. It's about whether we make it sacred in a particular way or not. So here's a couple of thoughts real quick, and then we're going to take communion. Number one, there aren't any rules when it comes to Sabbath and when and how you do it. Okay, there are some principles, but there are no rules. So you need to work it out for yourself when the right time is, and that will depend on your schedule, your stage of life. But it is possible. Um, Kath and I have um, been trying as a family to do ours from Friday at 5 o'clock through to Saturday at 5 o'clock, a family Sabbath. We change gear at 5 o'clock on a Friday, and then we change gear again 24 hours later. Uh, Number two, uh, you have to plan and prepare for it every week. We've had to work out how on earth we're going to get to that point ready to engage with it in a particular way. Which has meant we've had to rethink who does the shopping when we do it. We've had to divvy up the chores a bit better so that by Friday afternoon at five o'clock we've got food in for the weekend, we've cleaned the toilets, etc, etc. Okay, we're not going to let them spill into our Sabbath time. Really hard, but possible. Number three, it's helpful to begin and end any time of Sabbath with some little ritual or tradition to, to consecrate that time. Um, we used to, we've stopped doing it for a while and the kids have missed it, we used to start by lighting a little candle at five o'clock and we'd pray just for two minutes and invite God to inhabit the next 24 hours. Uh, and, then we did, and then we'd light it again at the end and then we'd blow it out and say a little prayer. But just to mark time and say, God, this is yours for this week, please do this. Uh, we would invite people into that. So we'd say, you come over for dinner, but it's, it's in this mode, right? And engage with it. And people got excited about that, particularly, interestingly, those beyond the church. Number four, for many followers of Jesus, powering down your phone and computer for an entire day. No social media, no email, no internet is a life-giving break from a world that is wrought with digital addiction. Okay? It's like chopping your arm off. It's so good. And it's fascinating watching friends when we say, can you please turn your phone off? And they're like, Whoa. we don't always do that if they're waiting for a babysitter. But it's a challenge to us, okay, for reasons we'll look at in a couple of weeks' time. And finally, um, you have to be intentional with what you do with that. You have to plan it. 
and hold lightly to it. So gift each other time, okay? I like to read and pray and have time on my own because I'm an introvert. Kath likes to get out and about like Jane. Uh, so, uh, but it's about time spent praying, hanging out with our kids, talking with our children. We do certain exercises to get them talking about how they're feeling and thinking about things. We spend time cooking together. It's great to cook from scratch. All these sorts of things that are life-giving for us. And that's the key. What draws you nearer to God and what draws you nearer to yourself and those around you? What gives you life, spiritually and relationally? Those are the things you put in. It's about creating an uninterrupted space to be with God and others as you connect in. And it doesn't mean, therefore, you're not doing anything or you're just chilling out. It's not 24 hours on the sofa going, "Mm," although I'd love that. It's way more powerful and beautiful and creative than that. And the end goal is that this becomes a normal weekly practice that we would not want to live without and from which we live into the world. It takes time and it takes practice. And so this is simply one sermon nudging us in that direction. We will pick this up as we go. For now, that's enough. So let's be still. Let's pause partly because we have to rearrange some furniture. So the kind of set hands are going to come and move the chairs and get the table in uh, readiness. But let's be still. And what I'd love to do is ask you one question to ask yourself. Am I tired and worn out? And to what do I look to to give me rest?